Thank you, Lord, because it is you that we live in and move and have our being, Father. And we just pray now that you will give us your word today, Lord. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you will speak through me as you wish to, Lord, as you want to, Lord. Say what you want to say, Lord, and say it how you want to say it, Father. Give us the, ear, the ears to hear what you are speaking in our spirit, and that we will just grab a hold of it with our spirit, Lord, no matter how uncomfortable it may make our flesh feel we want to gravitate and grasp it with our spirit let your words be spoken today lord let it change the way we think let it change the way we see you let it change the way we see ourselves and let it change even our understanding of who we are here on the earth in jesus name amen god is awesome um it has been an incredible few weeks, or really since, yeah, the start of this year, even Christmas when Di started preaching about vision. And honestly, for me, it has been really shaking up a lot of even my understanding regarding church and regarding um, just the institution of church, the, the construct of church. and the way we've often seen it. Um, last week, Di was preaching about there's only really one vision. And it's so true. And yet, the church has kind of been divided into so many different local establishments. And with those local establishments, you get a lot of different talks of vision. And, you know, from the outside looking in, you know, what's wrong with that? That's, that's okay. You can have a church that can have a vision within that community and you build into that and you give into that. But the truth of what vision is really about is how Jesus sets it up in his word. And the more we get away from, or the more we get into the selfish ambition and into the goals that any local church may set for themselves in terms of what they want to see accomplished and the way they want to see it done, which often comes from senior leadership and often comes from, you know, the top of what you would call, you know, those that are leading that specific church in that specific area. Well, the more you get into what that vision is, you can find yourself drifting away from what the vision has already been set, which is Jesus Christ. And you can put Christ on anything. And, and that's what, you know, especially me growing up in America and when you, you know, the churches that I've been a part of, the churches I've seen, you can put Christ on anything, but when you start to give into a um, very isolated view of what that specific institution wants to do, and you give into what that move or agenda or ambition is, then you can get very stuck into a selfish way of doing the work of God. Mm. This message might make us uncomfortable today. I know it's making me uncomfortable because I know what it feels like to grow up in a setting that can be very 
financially focused, very prosperity driven. And is anything wrong with prosperity? No, there's nothing wrong with it. But when that is the focus or the agenda, you start to relate or correlate the words like blessing and favor to prosperity. And anything that is uncomfortable or anything that is a little bit inconvenient, it's like, oh no, that's the devil. That's the enemy. Don't go there. Just keep me on the road and keep me in line with what it looks like to have favor. Because favor means I feel good. My flesh feels okay. I feel I, I can handle this. I can do it because everything around me is a little bit more convenient. That's favor and that's blessing. But really the truth is blessing and favor doesn't have much to do or really anything to do with the flesh. Because the Bible says the flesh will get no glory in the presence of God. Hmm. There's only one vision. So when you grow up this way and you understand that this is what it means to be blessed and then you start to connect that with, okay, now if you give, it'll be given back to you. I mean, the Bible does say that. Give and it shall be given. But we get focused more on what we get and why we're even given. Jesus called us to be the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he tells us when we give, it is actually to focus on what it means to be givers and it is better to give than to receive. But when we focus on the getting part, then it makes us even more selfish into what we can get individually. And even as a church, so we have a lot of individuals in a church being more individualistic with our mindsets instead of actually becoming the church, which is a church that is the collective in the pursuit of the purpose of God. Because vision or the vision that God has set is Christ. It's the culmination of what you see in the Old Testament with Moses and the prophets leading all up to him. But what he says is, I will build my church so his vision is the church. It is the body. So if it is the body, if Jesus says in Luke chapter 24, when he's talking, was it not purposeful for me to go through the sufferings and then enter into the glory? We want the glory and want to forsake the suffering. We don't want the suffering. Not even Jesus wanted the suffering because he even told us and John, if it is possible for this cup to be passed, Lord, God, Father, can we do that? Can we do anything else that would help us get away from the pain that I'm about to go through? Because this pain is going to have to cause me to be separate from you. I have to take on the sins of the children that you're trying to bring back to you and give them my righteousness. But is there anything else we can do to get me away from this whole thing that I'm about to go through? Nevertheless, let your will be done. So if we're the body, what would it be for us to even think that we don't go through the same thing? If, we have, if he picked up his cross, he is the example of what it looks like for us to pick up our own cross and die to ourselves. But when you grow up in an institution that is more focused on what you can get, it's very hard to understand what it looks like to die to you. It's very quiet today.
That's okay. Because I believe God is showing us and shifting us and changing our understanding of what it means to follow his vision. I've been looking at Paul, and I think it was a couple weeks ago that Di talked about Paul saying, I was not disobedient to the vision. And I'm going to start at Acts 26, verse 19. But before I do that, I kind of want to give a little backstory to this. Paul goes to the leader with a few people. He goes to the leader, James, who is the Jerusalem um, leader at that point. You know, he's leading the church in Jerusalem and he's leading um, the elders and all of that. So he's happy to see Paul. Paul talks about what's been happening with the Gentiles. And it's interesting. I won't get into it now, maybe another time, but it is interesting the, the conversation they have. And, and James is really concerned about what he's been saying about the Gentiles and what he's been talking about getting away from the law and getting away from the customs of the Jewish tradition. And he's actually been preaching this and the, all the Jews have been hearing about it. So James is not really confronting him. He's saying, we've been hearing what you're saying and there are people here that want to do you harm. So we know that's not what you really mean, and therefore we're going to get you to get with about four or so people who need to do purification because these are the customs of the Jewish tradition, and we want you to go in the synagogue. We want you to purify yourself and take a few days to do it. Follow the customs, and everyone will be able to see that you stick to the customs just as we do. So they won't put on you and be too angry with you from what they're hearing because they'll be able to see what you're doing. But it was just the exact opposite because Paul did it. Paul did exactly what James wanted him to do. And yet, at the end of that, they noticed Paul, and they attacked him immediately. They pulled him out. This big ruckus started, and this big, crazy thing happened to the point that the Romans in the area heard about it. They came out to see what was happening, and they were beating Paul. They were beating him to the point that they had to control the situation. And then they pulled Paul out. They're trying to figure out what's happening. Long story short, because I won't get into all of it, it is fascinating. I, I, would, I would beg you guys to go and read Acts and start at around the chapter, 21st chapter. It is incredible to see what happens because the government of Rome gets involved. The governor who at that time was Festus, no, the governor was Felix, I believe. And he ends up, Paul ends up going to Caesarea. He's locked up and Festus wants to, uh, no, Felix wants to have, you know, different commune, um, conversation with Paul and he's hoping he's he's actually doing this because the Bible says he's hoping that Paul would give him money to have these conversations with him and you can kind of see how religion and politics are still like trading to see who can get the favor who can get the blessing it's all about who can get ahead it's all about who can get in the most prominent spot in the most prominent space even now, even, even in the Bible days, this is what is happening. And it's like, whoa, 
And Paul's not giving into it. Paul's sticking with the vision that he will say, and we'll read it, that he has not been disobedient to. That vision is Christ has shown who he is, and he is to build the church, starting with Jerusalem, going into Judea, and then all of the parts of the world, including the Gentiles. That is the vision. That's it. But this is causing a stir throughout Jerusalem throughout Rome and it is amazing how Paul is suffering all of these things and he's done nothing wrong he's only preaching what Jesus has given him so it gets to the point where he is now before prominent people the governor is replaced and we see it as Festus at this point and the king comes into play and now the king wants to hear from Paul. So this is where we pick it up at. Acts chapter 26, starting at verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. Let's watch Paul's language here, because I'm going to come back and kind of pull a couple of things out to see how God takes care of his people through his vision. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing, but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he will proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Verse 24, and as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly. Wow. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So even the whole appealing to Caesar, really, you just got to go back and read it and maybe next month or whenever we'll, we'll kind of cover some more of those things because what we have to understand is the context of the vision is really, really important when it comes to how God wants to move and the context that we've grown up in, 
the context that we often see the way the church describes even vision, the way the church describes blessing, the way that the church describes what it looks like to walk in the favor of God is often related to how we feel even in our natural state, even in our flesh. The context often keeps us like motivated because it makes us feel good. But when we're reading this, the context is quite different. Paul's context is not in a place where it feels really good to him. So let's get there. Verse 19, when he talks about, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. The heavenly vision, like we've said, had to do with the building of the church, not the kingdom of Israel at that time. Because remember what the children of Israel, remember what his disciples said to him after he rose from the dead. You're going to come back and establish the kingdom of Israel. Jesus is like, what are you talking about? You're missing the point. The point is not to establish the nation as the kingdom of Israel. He didn't come to establish Israel. Okay? That's not why he came. He came through Israel to establish the kingdom of heaven. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near you. That's what he came to build, the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, he tells them, go, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. When he comes, you will prophesy, you will teach, and you will go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and every to the uttermost parts of the earth. When he meets, when he introduces himself to Paul, he tells them, you're going to go to Jerusalem, but then I'm going to send you away from there because they're not going to receive what you're saying. So guess what? You're going to go to the Gentiles. The kingdom of heaven includes everyone. So he's not there to build the kingdom of Israel. He's there to build the church. And the church is one. I mean, how many people have a head and, a, and two bodies? It's supposed to be a joke, guys. It doesn't exist. But when Jesus says he is the head, when Paul gives his letter in the epistle and when he writes the revelation of who the church is, he tells us Jesus is the head. And he, and he, and he uses this as a natural example with the man and a wife as a marriage, as a husband and a wife, just like Di was preaching a couple weeks back. This is actually to explain Christ and the church. The church is his body. It's only one body. Jesus is not walking around with two bodies. It's impossible. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. So the bride will be connected and come to him blameless and spotless and when we see the bride of Christ meeting Christ coming together when he comes back for his church he's coming back for his church so we have to understand the vision has to do with the church not a separate entity from that that is the kingdom that is what it means to talk about the heavenly vision that Jesus has given his church he said I'm going to build my church and this is why we see Paul in this situation because the people that he's preaching it to they don't like it 
They're ready to kill him because he's telling people, you're getting away from what we've established, our brand, and what we've established, and how we bind the people. Keep them in the law. Keep them in the customs of Moses. You're now telling people it is not about the customs of Moses or the law or the prophets. That is all culminated in Christ. You don't have to keep that anymore. All you have to do is have faith in Jesus. Whoa, what are you doing? We don't want to hear this, and you're messing up our whole MO. You're messing up our whole system. Do away with them. Kill them. They were fasting day and night trying to prepare how to kill Paul. Oh, how crazy is that? They're actually fasting and praying how to kill the man that has been given the vision by Christ himself. These Jews are trying to kill him because they're caught up in the religious aspect of what they've been accustomed to and they have not given their faith to what has changed or what has culminated into the vision of who Christ is. Is this making sense? Okay. This is, oh, this is amazing stuff. And Paul is going through it because I'm sure he's sitting there trying to figure out what's happening. And we kind of we get that feel from Paul because we see that Jesus comes to him and says, take courage because the facts that you have given about me in Jerusalem, you're going to do the same thing in Rome. Be strong, Paul. I know this all looks confusing to you. I know the people that you trusted that are like you, that are you. They are Pharisees, and yet they're trying to get rid of you. I know you're probably confused with all of what's happening, but I need you to take courage because the facts that you have given about me, the what you have told them about me is factual. But guess what? It won't stop here. You're going to have to do it in Rome. So as much as they wanted to kill him, the provision was there because why? Not so much because Paul is a great person. It's that Paul has decided to be obedient to the vision. So the provision is not for our flesh. The provision comes with the vision. The question is, are we willing to respond to the vision and keep it in context and not make it about ourselves, but make it about the kingdom? Hmm. Ah. See, it's exciting because it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with what and how Jesus actually set it up. He said, I'm going to build my church. He didn't tell Peter, I'm going to build you. He said, upon this rock, the revelation that you have received, Peter, that is what I'm going to build, my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against that, against my body. It may seem like the gates of hell is prevailing against your natural flesh, but that is how the church becomes power. When we decide to humble ourselves to the vision and not care so much about our own ambition and desire. Thank you, Jesus. So the vision put him before great men. The vision, the vision that Paul has been given and put him before great men. Who loves that thought? Who loves that idea? Oh, God has put me before great men. But Paul's in chains. 
He's before great men, not in a prominent way, not in a way that makes Paul feel very comfortable, not in a way that makes Paul feel very promoted, because no flesh will glory in the presence of God. He's sitting before kings. He's sitting before governors. He's sitting before the tribune, which is a high-ranking official. He's sitting before all these people about to give his testimony, and he's locked up in prison not knowing if it's going to cost him his life. But what does he start with? He says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Are we willing to respond that way? Or do we want to kind of keep some level of convenience or some level of comfort for our own selves? What are we willing to give up? So in verse 22, he says, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. This really shows the provision of God. Let's think about it. And like I said, we often think of provision as convenience for us. Yes, God provides for us. Of course, he is our father. He tells us all the things the Gentiles seek in Matthew chapter 6, he says all of those things, clothing, food, and everything they're going after, don't seek for any of that. Don't seek for any of that. But if you seek first the kingdom, all these things will be added. Isn't it interesting how he never tells them to seek for it at all? He says, seek first the kingdom, but he doesn't give a second he doesn't say, seek first the kingdom, then seek these things. Seek the things that the Gentiles go after, but make sure you put the kingdom first. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God. Okay, what's second, Lord? And all these things will be added. But you just said first, tell me the second. There is no second when it comes to the vision. You don't have to worry about plan B or plan C or plan D because what Jesus does never fails. If you seek the kingdom first, you never have to worry about the things that you're so concerned about because they will all be added. It may not look like the way you want it to look, but just keep aligned to the vision. Just stay with the vision because Paul is telling us right here, everything I needed has been provided. Every concern I had, God has already spoken to me about it. It's already taken care of. I didn't know what was happening, but the Lord visited me and told me the Jews, they're trying to, you know, everything you've said has been factual. What you've said here, you're going to say in Rome. Okay, that tells me that I'm going to be protected until I get to Rome. At least I have that. But the word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. I can't look that far down the road because I can't see everything that is happening. But if I stay with the word, I can see what's in front of me step by step. So it takes faith, and faith is the only thing that pleases God. So the provision is there. I can't see how it's going to come, but Paul tells us right here, to this day I have had the help that comes from God. Everything that they've been desiring to do, they can't do it because the vision already has the provision within it. If I stick to what God has said, he's going to build his church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Hmm. I just want to jump right now, but, you know, it, it's, 
I can feel the presence of God just starting to kind of break things open for our understanding. Because if we get this right, and if we understand what it looks like to be willing and to be humble and actually allow whatever the sufferings that is in front of us to take place according to what God is saying to our natural flesh, we will actually see the power of the Holy Spirit move in the church like never before. Because we will see the glory of the Father happening. We will see God getting the glory through the body of Christ, which is us. So could it be that provision means to advance, to advance the kingdom of God and not the comfort of man? Think about that. The purpose of the body is to reflect him. And yet, so many churches make it about themselves. So many people in the church make it about themselves. Make it about the political agendas. Make it about how they sit within the politics, how they sit within society. We make it about everything other than making it about the kingdom of God. Instead, we put the kingdom of God on it because it somehow, some way, pushes us to the front. And yet Paul is in a place where he would not want anyone to be. It's got to reflect him. That's what's important. Even verse 23, that the Christ must suffer. This is Paul. He's, he's, this is his testimony, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he will proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. I actually just want to, I know I read this verse, but I want to read it again. Luke 24, chapter 24, verse 25 through 26. I just want to make sure I say what I feel like God is saying, because Di read this a couple weeks back, it was either last week or the week before, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Christ had to suffer before the glory. So is it far-fetched that the body shows the suffering to our flesh so that the unshakable kingdom is revealed in us and all glory is given to God? We got to think about it. It's not so much, yeah, we see the suffering here with, with Paul and him being in prison, and it could get to that point. Who, who knows? Whatever happens, happens. But I'm more talking about the sufferings that brings inconvenience to our flesh. Even when it comes to prayer, it's inconvenient. Coming to, you know, when we do our worship night, when we do our winter rain, it's not always convenient. It's not convenient for these guys to do it every single month. It's a draw out of our spirit. It's positioning ourselves to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness because if we do that, we'll be filled. It's actually putting our flesh under subjection and saying, no, I'm going to make time for this because this is how the church 
is built. If we unify, that's how we pull down one of the keys of the kingdom when we pray together, when we worship together, when we are in unity together. Then the Holy Spirit, then Jesus can come and be in the midst of us. He already told us if two or three are gathered together, I'm in the midst of them. What about hopping on, hopping on prayer tower? Yes, it's inconvenient. It doesn't always fit our schedule, but that's the job of the enemy to make our lives and try to throw things up to where we're so focused on what the natural man thinks and what the natural man feels and what the natural man needs that we often miss what God is trying to do with us and in us through the spirit. Because it's not about us. It's about the kingdom. And it's okay to get excited about the kingdom. Because just like it hits you, it hits me too. It hits every single one of us in the same manner. It's not going to be ever, it's never going to be convenient. Even coming today, it's it's things that we all could have done today. It's my birthday today. I could have said, oh, no, I'm taking the day off. Oh, I want to just go hang with my family. Oh, I just want to be here. I want to be there. I get that right. It's my birthday. No, this is a privilege to be able to preach the kingdom of heaven, to be able to preach what God is saying. This is a privilege. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else but with the people of God because I know what God is trying to do. He's unifying us so that the power will be seen and the society that we live in will be able to say, okay, something is different about this. There's a boldness here. Because if we get there, we'll have the same boldness that Paul had. We'll have the same boldness that Peter had. And let's look at the boldness that Paul had as we're on that. Let's look at what he says. Because verse 26, he actually says, and I speak to him boldly. This is after Festus has actually told him, you're out of your mind, Paul. I'm not out of my mind. I'm speaking rational words. I'm speaking words that you understand. As a matter of fact, everything that I'm saying is not hidden from anyone. You can't hide what Jesus is doing. If you don't want to be the one he uses, he'll use someone else. He's going to build his church. You can't hide him. But Paul says, I'm not speaking anything that is irrational. I speak boldly to him, speaking to the king. He's talking to the king in chains. The audacity of Paul to speak to the king this way. What does he say? Paul spoke boldly, and he said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And instead of letting the king answer it, he says, I know you believe the prophets. Oh, The boldness on Paul, for him to take it this route, for him to go and look at the king eye to eye and say, do you believe the prophets? Because everything I'm saying, nothing's been hidden. You know I'm telling, you know I'm factual about what I'm talking about. And you know what, king? I know you believe the prophets. I know the Holy Spirit is dealing with you right now. I know you've seen all of this, and I know I'm speaking by the boldness of the Holy Spirit. Because when you're lining yourself up with the vision that God has given, it is the Holy Spirit that comes and gives you the boldness to speak the truth. We see it happen with Peter. This is the same boldness. Why? Because there is conviction that comes with it. And you can tell the conviction has hit the heart of the king in this passage. How do we know that? Because he says, in a short time, 
would you persuade me to be a Christian? Paul didn't say anything about the king being a Christian. He just said, I know you believe the prophets. But there is a conviction that comes when you speak the vision that God has given through Christ, which is his church. We see it with Peter, and when Peter says it, these people say, what must we do to be saved? So Paul's response to that is, hey, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. Accept these chains. Whoo! That's boldness. That's boldness to stand knowing your life is on the line. You're standing in front of prominent people and you actually tell him, I know you believe the prophets and you know the conviction hits him. Would you convince me to be a Christian in such a short time? Doesn't matter whether now or whether 10 years from now. I would dare for you to be just like I am. Not just you, but everyone in this room today. He's the one in chains, and he's the one whose life is on the line, and he's saying, he's not saying, I want to be like you guys. I want to be on that side because what's convenient is, is really not happening. It's not going well for me right now. I'm not in a good spot. But he has humbled himself, and Paul looks weak. He looks desperate. He looks... He looks like you would not want to be in that position, and yet he has more boldness than anyone in the entire room to the point that the king is actually saying, are you trying to convince me? No, that's the Holy Spirit speaking. You still have to respond. That's the Holy Spirit hitting your heart with the words that I am saying because the words that I am saying are not my words. The words I'm saying are the words that come from Christ himself. This is what it means to be aligned and be willing to respond to the vision that God has already given. We don't have to change anything, guys. We don't have to try to develop any wording or any layout, any vision that tries to attract people and bring people in according to the flesh. Because when we do that, in the moment we do that, we're drawing people in that is going to benefit them, that makes it more convenient for them that makes it more convenient and more comfortable for our flesh. That is not the goal. The goal is to just simply say what the vision has already been laid out for all of us. And if we stick to that, yeah, we may look weak. We may look, you know, helpless. We may look like we don't have it all together. But that's when we will see the power of God come in and show society who Jesus really is so that the unshakable kingdom will be in his people. And that's us. And that's what Paul says. I'm not going to get to the rest of it. There is more. And maybe next time. But I do want to get the worship guys back up here. Because I'm going to finish right at that point. We have to keep the vision that God has already given. And guess what? It's going to take us positioning ourselves 
to read his word is going to take us positioning ourselves to say, okay, God, I'm going to be willing to give you everything I have and everything that I am. And whatever you want to say and whatever you want to do, I'm going to allow you to do it. No matter how it looks to my natural eyes, no matter how it looks to my natural man, Paul had no idea. Yes, the Holy Spirit was speaking through people saying, this is what's going to happen to you, Paul. You're going to be imprisoned. So they were giving him what was going to happen. And Paul was said, he said himself, I'm ready to die for the gospel. But what Paul learned, which is what we'll get to maybe next time, what Paul learned was, A, he did not know how it was going to look. You don't always get the picture of how it's going to look and what that plays out and the way it plays out in real time. And Paul was ready to die for the gospel. But what Paul had to learn was how to become an even better steward with the word that was given him for the church, for the people. And that can be the hardest part. That's the drawn out part. Yeah, we can say, I'm ready to die for Christ. But Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that I am building. So what you need to learn is how you live and how you steward the call that God has given you for the people. And that is a road that takes, that's where you see the suffering. That's where you see the betrayal. That's where you see the people that you thought were with you. Paul says even even in one of his letters, everyone left me. When I was standing with my life on the line, everyone left me except for Luke. Paul knew what it felt like to be betrayed by even his own people. And yet he said in in Colossians, I rejoice because I'm learning how to take in the affliction, more of his affliction, more of his suffering, because I realized this is actually making the church more powerful. And this is actually displaying the power of who the church is. So when we read When we understand the gates of hell can't prevail against us because Christ builds his church, the church shows this when we reflect the vision of Christ. We give up our will and become willing to do his will. We give up fleshly rights to do what we want so that we will reflect Christ and what his will is to demonstrate his power in his authority. We can't be afraid of the cost because it's going to cost us everything. But it is done by his spirit. All it takes on our end is the willingness. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We cry with our hearts. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Give us to understand the vision like never before, Lord. Make it plain. Make it clear, Lord God. We want to hear you. We want to know you. We want to see you, Lord Jesus. Do it in our hearts, Lord. Do it in our hearts now, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray, Lord, that your power will inundate us, Lord. That the draw will inundate us, Lord. Inundate us to come and let you have your way, Lord. Advance your kingdom through your church, Lord. 
do it in us father anything even now lord anything that has been preached that is hitting us in a way that doesn't feel good father give us to just let you have your way in it lord jesus that we will be more willing to your context to your vision to the understanding of what you have set out in front of us and how we are to be as your people lord because we want the unshakable kingdom to be revealed in the society we live in right now, Lord. We will not be influenced anymore by the society we live in, but we will be the influencers. We will be those who will lead people to your truth, not to ourselves, but to you, Lord, because we're your body, we're your church. Have your way in us, Lord. Have your way in us. In the name of Jesus, bring your conviction to our hearts, Lord, in every area, the areas we have not given up, the areas that we're still holding on to, the areas that we're trying to control, even when it comes to bettering and having a better life for our family and for our children and, and for our future and how we set things up, Lord. The way we set it up, Father, if we're doing it outside of your will or if we're doing it because it's a good thing, but yet we're making it about us, Lord, show us. Show us now, God, because we don't want to be any longer encapsulated by what society tells us to do and how society tells us to live, no matter how good it sounds. We want to be captured by your spirit. And we want the kingdom of heaven to come and lead us like it should be done, according to your will, according to your vision. Change our hearts around this, Lord. Break the church up in the way you want it to be, Father. Build your word in us, Lord. We hunger and thirst for your righteousness because we know the promise in that is that we will be filled. We set the time aside, Lord. We prioritize you like never before. We want to dig deeper like never before, Lord, so we will see you manifest your power in us. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Lord, I pray your blessing upon us even now as we dismiss I pray Lord we will understand your word and your truth even more that we will even have this desire to go back and read even this passage of scripture and hear what you are saying to us as your church capture our hearts again Lord God in Jesus name Amen Amen <laughs>